Chapter 8 of Don O'Hara, The Girl Who Laughed. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Leanne Howlett. Don O'Hara, The Girl Who Laughed by Edna Ferber. Chapter 8 Kaffee and Kaffee Kuchen. I have visited Bombox. I have heard Milwaukee drinking its afternoon coffee. Oh, Bombox, with your deliciously crumbling butter cookies and your coffee cookin' and your thick cream and your thicker waitresses and your cockroaches and your dinginess and your dowdy German ladies and your black, black coffee, where in this country is there another like you? Blackie, true to his promise, had hailed me from the doorway on the afternoon of the following day. In the rush of the day's work, I had quite forgotten about Blackie and Bombox. "'Come, Kinchin,' he called. "'Get your bonnet on. We will buy Bombox go, no?' Ruefully I gazed at the grimy cuffs of my blouse and felt of my disheveled hair. "'Oh, I'm afraid I can't go. I look so mussy. Haven't had time to brush up.' "'Brush up!' scoffed Blackie. "'The only thing about you that will need brushing up is your German.' I was going to warn you to rumple up your hair a little so you wouldn't feel overdressed when you got there. Come on, girl. And so I came. And, oh, I'm so glad I came. I must have passed it a dozen times without once noticing it. Just a dingy little black shop nestling between two taller buildings, almost within the shadow of the city hall. Over the sidewalk swung a shabby black sign with gilt letters that spelled Franz Bombach. Blackie waved an introductory hand in the direction of the sign. "'There he is. That's all you'll ever see of him.' "'Dead?' asked I regretfully as we entered the narrow doorway. "'No. Down in the basement, baking coffee cooking. Two tiny show windows faced the street. Such queer old-fashioned windows in these days of plate glass. At the back they were quite open to the shop, and in one of them reposed a huge, white, immovable structure, a majestic, heavy, nutty, surely indigestible birthday cake.' Around its edge were flutings and scrolls of white icing, and on its broad breast reposed cherries and stout butterflies of jelly and cunning traceries of colored sugar. It was quite the dressiest cake I had ever beheld. Surely no human hand could be wanton enough to guide a knife through all that magnificence. But in the center of all this splendor was an inscription in heavy white letters of icing. Carlatens Gubertstag Reluctantly I tore my gaze from this imposing example of the German confectioner's art, for Blackie was tugging impatiently at my sleeve. "'But Blackie,' I marveled, "'do you honestly suppose that that structure is intended for some Charlotte's birthday?' "'In Milwaukee,' explained Blackie, "'when you got a birthday you got to have a Gebertstag cake with your name on it, and all the cousins and aunts and members of the north side Frauenturner Verin Gesellschaft in for the day.' It ain't considered decent if you don't. Are you ready to fight your way into the main tent? It was holiday time, and the single narrow aisle of the front shop was crowded. It was not easy to elbow one's way through the packed little space. Men and women were ordering recklessly of the cakes of every description that were heaped in cases and on shelves. Cakes! What a pale, dry name to apply to those crumbling, melting, indigestible German confections. Blackie grinned with enjoyment while I gazed. There were cakes the like of which I had never seen, and of which I did not even know the names. There were little round cupcakes made of almond paste that melts in the mouth. There were schnecken glazed with a delicious candied brown sugar. 
There were Bismarck's composed of layer upon layer of flaky crust inlaid with an oozy custard that evades the eager consumer at the first bite and that slides down one's collar when chased with a pursuing tongue. There were Pfeffernus, there were Lebkuchen, there were Cheesekuchen, Plumkuchen, Peachkuchen, Apfelkuchen, the juicy fruit stuck thickly into the crust, the whole dusted over with powdered sugar. There were Torten and Hornken and Butter Cookies. Blackie touched my arm and I tore my gaze from a cherry-studded Chamtort that was being reverently packed for delivery. My, what a greedy girl! Now get your mind all made up. This is your chance. You know you're supposed to take a slant at the things and make up your mind what you want before you go back where the tables are. Don't fumble this thing. When Olga or Minna comes waddling up to you and says, New Fräulein? You gotta tell her whether your heart says plum cookin' order notstort. Or both. See? Just like that. Now make up your mind. I'd hate to have you blunder. Have you decided? Decided? How can I? I moaned, watching a black-haired, black-eyed Alsatian girl behind the counter as she rolled a piece of white paper into a cone and dipped a spoonful of whipped cream from a great brown bowl heaped high with the snowy stuff. She filled the paper cone, inserted the point of it into one end of a hollow pastry horn, and gently squeezed. Presto! A cream-filled hornkin. Oh, Blackie, I gasped. Come on, I want to go in and eat. As we elbowed our way to the rear room, separated from the front shop only by a flimsy wooden partition, I expected I know not what. But surely this was not Blackie's much-vaunted box. This long, narrow, dingy room with its bare floor and its iron-legged tables whose bare marble tops were yellow with age and use? I said nothing as we seated ourselves. Blackie was watching me out of the tail of his eye. My glance wandered about the shabby, smoke-filled room, and slowly and surely the charm of that fusty, dingy little café came upon me. A huge stove glowed red in one corner. On the wall behind the stove was suspended a wooden rack, black with age, its compartments holding German, Austrian, and Hungarian newspapers. Against the opposite wall stood an ancient walnut mirror, and above it hung a colored print of Bismarck, helmeted, uniformed, and fiercely mustached. The clumsy iron-legged tables stood in two solemn rows down the length of the narrow room. Three or four stout blonde girls plodded back and forth from tables to front shop bearing trays of cakes and steaming cups of coffee. There was a rumble and clatter of German. Everyone seemed to know everyone else. A game of chess was in progress at one table, and between moves each contestant would refresh himself with a long-drawn, sibilant mouthful of coffee. There was nothing about the place or its occupants to remind one of America. This dim, smoky, cake-scented café was Germany. "'Time,' said Blackie. "'Here comes Rosie to take our order. You can take your choice of coffee or chocolate. That's as fancy as they get here.' An expansive blonde girl paused at our table, smiling a broad welcome at Blackie. "'Wie geht's, Roschen?' he greeted her. Roschen's smile became still more pervasive, so that her blue eyes disappeared in creases of good humor. She wiped the marble tabletop with a large and careless gesture that precipitated stray crumbs into our laps. Gut, murmured she coyly, and leaned one hand on a portly hip in an attitude of waiting. Coffee? asked Blackie, turning to me. I nodded. Zweimel Kaffee? beamed Roshan, grasping the idea. Now's your time to speak up, urged Blackie. Go ahead and order all the cream gefilte things that look good to you out in front but I leaned forward, lowering my voice discreetly. Blackie, before I plunge in too recklessly, tell me, are their prices very... Say, child, 
You just can't spend half a dollar here if you try. The flossiest kind of thing they got is only ten cents a order. They'll smother you in whipped cream for a quarter. You can come in here and eat and eat and put away piles of cakes till you feel like a combination of Little Jack Horner and Old Doc Johnson. And when you're all through, they hand you your check and, say it says forty-five cents, you can't beat it, so wade right in and spoil your complexion. With enthusiasm, I turned upon the patient Rosie. Oh, bring me some of those cunning little round things with the cream on em, you know, two of those, eh, Blackie? And a couple of those with the flaky crust and the custard between, and a slice of that fluffy-looking cake, and some of those funny cocked hat-shaped cookies. But a pall of bewilderment was slowly settling over Rosie's erstwhile smiling face. Her plump shoulders went up in a helpless shrug, and she turned her round blue eyes appealingly to Blackie. "'Was might see alles?' she asked. So I began all over again with the assistance of Blackie. We went into minute detail. We made elaborate gestures. We drew pictures of our desired goodies on the marble-topped table using a soft lead pencil. Rosie's countenance wore a distracted look. In desperation I was about to accompany her to the crowded shop, there to point out my chosen dainties, when suddenly, as they would put it here, a light went over her. Ach, yes! Sie wollten Weilek Gabergutter Gugelhof Abend und auch Schamtort und Bismarcks und Hornken mit Cream gefüllt, nick? Certainly, I murmured, quite crushed. Roshan waddled merrily off to the shop. Blackie was rolling a cigarette. He ran his funny little red tongue along the edge of the paper and glanced up at me in glee. Don't bother about me, he generously observed. Just sit still and let the atmosphere soak in. But already I was lost in contemplation of a red-faced, pompadoured German who was drinking coffee and reading the Fliegenblatter at a table just across the way. There were counterparts of my aborigines at Knopf's, thick-spectacled engineers with high foreheads, actors and actresses from the German stock company, reporters from the English and German newspapers, businessmen with comfortable German consciences, long-haired musicians, dapper young lawyers, a giggling group of college girls and boys, a couple of smartly-dressed women nibbling appreciatively at slices of nustort, low-voiced lovers whose coffee-cups stood untouched at their elbows, while no fragrant cloud of steam rose to indicate that there was warmth within. Their glances grow warmer as the neglected coffee grows colder. The color comes and goes in the girl's face, and I watch it, a bit enviously, marveling that the old story still should be so new. At a large square table near the doorway, a group of eight men were absorbed in an animated political discussion, accompanied by much waving of arms and thundering of gutturals. It appeared to be a table of importance, for the high-backed bench that ran along one side was upholstered in worn red velvet, and every newcomer paused a moment to nod or to say a word in greeting. It was not of American politics that they talked, but of the politics of Austria and Hungary. Finally the argument resolved itself into a duel of words between a handsome, red-faced German, whose rosy skin seemed to take on a deeper tone, in contrast to the whiteness of his hair and moustache, and a swarthy young fellow whose thick spectacles and heavy mane of black hair gave him the look of a caricature out of an illustrated German weekly. The red-faced man argued loudly with much rapping of bare knuckles on the table-top, but the dark man spoke seldom and softly, with a little twisted half-smile on his lips, and whenever he spoke the red-faced man grew redder, and there came a huge laugh from the others who sat listening. "'Say, wouldn't it curdle your English?' Blackie laughed. Solemnly I turned to him. Blackie Griffith, these people do not even realize that there is anything unusual about this. Sure not. 
That's the beauty of it. They don't need to make no artificial atmosphere for this place. It just grows wild like dandelions. Everybody comes here for their coffee because their aunts and uncles and grossmutters and grosspapas used to come, and come yet if they're living. And after all, what is it but a little German bakery? But, oh, wise Herr Bombach down in the kitchen. Oh, subtle Frau Bombach back of the desk, said I. Others may fit their shops with mirrors and cut glass chandeliers and oriental rugs and mahogany, but you sit serenely by and you smile and you change nothing. You let the brown walls grow dimmer with age, you see the marble-topped tables turning yellow, you leave bare your wooden floor and you smile and smile and smile. Fine, applauded Blackie, you're on, and here comes Rosie. Rosie the Radiant placed on the table cups and saucers of an unbelievable thickness. She set them down on the marble surface with a crash, as one who knows well that no mere marble or granite could shatter the solidity of those stout earthenware receptacles. Napkins there were none. I was to learn that fingers were rid of any clinging remnants of cream or crumb by the simple expedient of licking them. Blackie emptied his pitcher of cream into his cup of black, black coffee, sugared it, stirred, tasted, and then, with a wicked gleam in his black eyes, he lifted the heavy cup to his lips and took a long, gurgling mouthful. Blackie, I hissed, if you do that again I shall refuse to speak to you. Do what? demanded he, all injured innocence. Snuffle up your coffee like that. Why, girl, that's the proper way to drink coffee here. Listen to everybody else. And while I glared, he wrapped his hand lovingly about his cup, holding the spoon imprisoned between first and second fingers, and took another sibilant mouthful. Any more of your back talk, and I'll drink it out of my saucer and blow on it like the hefty party over there in the earrings is doing. Calm yourself and try a Bismarck. I picked up one of the flaky confections and eyed it in despair. There were no plates except that on which the cakes reposed. How does one eat them? I inquired. You don't really eat them. The motion is more like inhaling. To eat them successful, you really ought to get into a bathtub half filled with water, because as soon as you bite in at one end, why, the custard stuff slides out at the other, and no human mouth can be two places at onset. Shut your eyes, girl, and just wade in. I waited. In silence I took a deep, delicious bite, nimbly chasing the coy filling around a corner with my tongue, devoured every bit down to the last crumb, and licked the stickiness off my fingers. Then I investigated the interior of the next cake. "'I'm coming here every day,' I announced. "'Better not. Ruin your complexion and turn all your lines into bumps. Look at the dame with the earrings. I've been keeping count, and I've seen her eat three schnecken, two cream puffs, a nusshornken, and a slice of tort with two cups of coffee. Ain't she a horrible example? And yet she's got the nerve to wear a princess gown.' "'I don't care,' I replied recklessly, my voice choked with whipped cream and butteriness. "'I can just feel myself getting greasy.' Haven't I done beautifully for a new hand? Now tell me about some of these people. Who is the funny little man in the check suit with the black braid trimming and the green cravat and the white spats and the tan hat and the eyeglasses? Ain't them the dizzy habiliments? A note of envy crept into Blackie's voice. His name is Hugo Luders. Used to be a reporter on the Germania, but he's reformed and gone into advertising where there's real money. Some say he wears them clothes on a bet, and some say his taste in dress is a curse descended upon him from Joseph, the guy with the fancy coat, but I think he wears them because he fancies them. He's been coming here every afternoon for twelve years, has a cup of coffee, game of chess, and a powwow with a bunch of cronies. If Bombox ever decide to paint the front of their shop or put in cut-glass fixtures and hand-painted china, 
Hugo Luters would serve an injunction on him. Next. Who's the woman with the leathery complexion and the belt to match and the untidy hair and the big feet? I like her face. And why does she sit at a table with all those strange-looking men? And who are all the men? And who is the fur-lined grand opera tenor just coming in? Oh! Blackie glanced over his shoulder just as the tall man in the doorway turned his face toward us. That? Why, girl, that's von Gerhard, the man who gives me one more year to live. Look at everybody kowtowing to him. He don't favor Bombox often, too busy patching up the nervous wrecks that are washed up on his shores. The tall figure in the doorway was glancing from table to table, nodding here and there to an acquaintance. His eyes traveled the length of the room. Now they were nearing us. I felt a sudden inexplicable tightening at heart and throat, as though fingers were clutching there. Then his eyes met mine, and I felt the blood rushing to my face as he came swiftly over to our table and took my hand in his. "'So you have discovered Bombach's,' he said. "'May I have my coffee and cigar here with you?' Blackie here is responsible for my being initiated into the sticky mysteries of Bombach's. I never should have discovered it if he had not offered to act as personal conductor. You know one another, I believe? The two men shook hands across the table. There was something forced and graceless about the act. Blackie eyed von Gerhard through a misty curtain of cigarette smoke. Von Gerhard gazed at Blackie through narrowed lids as he lighted his cigar. I'm the gink you killed off two or three years back, Blackie explained. I remember you perfectly, von Gerhard returned courteously. I rejoice to see that I was mistaken. Well, drawled Blackie, a wicked gleam in his black eyes, I'm some rejoice myself, old top. Angel wings and a white kimono, worn barefooty, would go some rotten with my Spanish style of beauty, what? Didn't know that you and my dame friend here was acquainted. Known each other long? I felt myself flushing again. I knew Dr. von Gerhard back home. I've scarcely seen him since I have been here. Famous specialists can't be bothered with middle-aged relatives of their college friends, can they, Herr Doctor? And now it was von Gerhard's face that flushed a deep and painful crimson. He looked at me in silence, and I felt very little and insignificant, and much like an impudent child who has stuck out its tongue at its elders. Silent men always affect talkative women in that way. You know that what you say is not true, he said slowly. Well, we won't quibble. We... We were just about to leave, weren't we, Blackie? Just, said Blackie, rising. Sorry to see you drinking Bombach's coffee, Doc. It ain't fair to your patients. Quite right, replied von Gerhard, and rose with us. I shall not drink it. I shall walk home with Mrs. Orme instead, if she will allow me. That will be more stimulating than coffee, and twice as dangerous, perhaps, but... You know how I hate that sort of thing, I said coldly as we passed from the warmth of the little front shop where the plump girls were still filling pasteboard boxes with the holiday cakes to the brisk chill of the winter street. The little black and gilt sign swung and creaked in the wind. Whimsically, and with the memory of that last cream-filled cake fresh in my mind, I saluted the letters that spelled Franz Bombach. Blackie chuckled impishly. Just the same, try a pinch of soda bicarbonate when you get home, Don, he advised. Well, I'm off to the factory again. Got to make up for time wasted on my lady friend. Off Petersen. And the little figure in the check top coat trotted off. But he called you Don, broke from von Gerhard. Mm-hmm, I agreed. My name's Don. Surely not to him. You have known him but a few weeks. I would not have presumed. 
Blackie never presumes, I laughed. Blackie's just Blackie. Imagine taking offense at him. He knows everyone by their given name, from Joe, the boss of the press room, to the chief who imports his office coats from London. Besides, Blackie and I are newspaper men, and people don't scrape and bow in a newspaper office, especially when they're fond of one another. You wouldn't understand. As I looked at von Gerhard in the light of the street lamp, I saw a tense, drawn look about the little group of muscles which show when the teeth are set hard. When he spoke, those muscles had relaxed but little. One man does not talk ill of another, but this is different. I want to ask you, do you know what manner of man this, this blackie is? I ask you because I would have you safe and sheltered always from such as he, because I... Safe? From blackie? Now listen. There never was a safer, saner, truer, more generous friend. Oh, I know what his life has been, but what else could it have been, beginning as he did? I have no wish to reform him. I tried my hand at reforming one man and made a glorious mess of it, so I'll just take Blackie as he is, if you please. Slang, wickedness, pink shirt, red necktie, diamond rings and all. If there's any bad in him, we all know it, for it's right down on the table, face up. You're just angry because he called you Doc. Small one, said von Gerhard in his quaint German idiom. We will not quarrel, you and I. If I have been neglectful, it was because edged tools were never a chosen plaything of mine. Perhaps your little blackie realizes that he need have no fear of such things, for the great fear is upon him. The great fear, you mean? I mean that there are too many fine little lines radiating from the corners of the sunken eyes, and that his hand clasp leaves a moisture in the palm. Ach, you may laugh. Come, we will change the subject to something more cheerful, yes? Tell me, how grows the book? By inches. After working all day on a bulletin paper, whose city editor is constantly shouting, Boil it now, fellows. Keep it down. We're crowded. It is too much of a wrench to find myself seated calmly before my own typewriter at night, privileged to write one hundred thousand words if I choose. I can't get over the habit of crowding the story all into the first paragraph. Whenever I flower into a descriptive passage, I glance nervously over my shoulder, expecting to find Norberg stationed behind me, scissors and blue pencil in hand. Consequently, the book, thus far, sounds very much like a police reporter's story of a fire four minutes before the paper is due to go to press. Von Gerhard's face was unsmiling. So, he said slowly, you burn the candle at both ends. All day you write, is it not so? And at night you come home to write still more? Ach, Kinchen, nah, we shall change all that. We will be better comrades, we two, yes? You remember that gay little walk of last autumn when we explored the Michigan country lane at dusk? I shall be your Sunday shots, and there shall be more rambles like that one to bring the roses into your cheeks. We shall be good comradin', as you and this little Griffith are. What is it they say? Good fellows. That is it. Good fellows, yes? So shall we shake hands on it? But I snatched my hand away. I don't want to be a good fellow, I cried. I'm tired of being a good fellow. I've been a good fellow for years and years, while every other married woman in the world has been happy in her own home, bringing up her babies. When I am old, I want some sons to worry me, too, and to stay awake nights for, and some daughters to keep me young and to prevent me from doing my hair in a knob and wearing bonnets. I hate good fellow women, and so do you, and so does everyone else. I... I... Don! cried von Gerhard. But I ran up the steps and into the house and slammed the door behind me, leaving him standing there. End of chapter 8